What is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. 41 Jake here. We just wrapped up the club sesh talking about record keeping. And I felt like going live. I haven't been live on YouTube in a while. I'm going to drop this on the podcast as well because it's something that I'm super passionate about. The record keeping industry as a whole is going into an amazing time. And I think in the next decade, we're going to see some serious improvements, some innovations, some, some changes. Uh, I, I can't wait, honestly. Um, I think there's, there's going to be things that will change the way that the, the normal employee across the country will actually approach the 401k. The reason I, I'm so passionate about it, I think the 401k is obviously one of most people's first investment accounts. It's their first introduction to what a mutual fund is, what a stock is, what a bond is. And a lot of people don't take it serious early enough. They wait, 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 and there is just so much going on in this industry. It's so massive to think from where we were when we started this back in the late 70s, right? When, I mean, I wasn't even born yet. Um, I was born in the 80s. And so... The 401k in that time has grown to such a massive, massive part of millions and millions of Americans' lives. And I think the overall feeling of 401ks being successful is not there. And it should be. And I think we, we put a lot more trust in Social Security as, you know, I think we is probably okay because the government's involved and obviously that's the most secure thing in our minds. And so um, it technically should be the best thing, but we know from the math involved that Social Security is going to have some issues here in the next 10, 15 years. And so um, depending on how old you are and when you've been contributing and all that, how that lines up, the 401k could very well be one of the best things that you have. And as advisors and as wholesalers and as um, you know, investment representatives, or what we call d- defined contribution investment only wholesalers for investment companies, we have to do a better job communicating with people about record keeping and what that really is and how to do it. And so the topic today in the club sesh was 401k record keeping. So I want to take a step back. Let's quickly review. As you know, 401ks have four essential fees, right? The advisor, who's really the the hub, the heart of the whole plan. They need to make sure everybody's doing their job and they've got a lot on their plate, but they're not necessarily ones doing all the work, obviously. Then you've got your your TPA, your administrator. Those are the ones doing the documents, all the legal stuff, all the compliance, not really employee facing, but they're, they're really, really important and can create a, a massive problem if they don't do it right. So you got to have the right thing there. Um, that's usually a kind of a pretty static fee. Then you've got your, um, record keeping, which we're going to dive into. And that is where we kind of, I think from a general population standpoint, think of 401k, we think of the record keeper. So the fourth thing is obviously your funds, your investments, which we can see from just looking at Googling 401k lawsuits that having your investments dialed in is really critical. Um, there's There's been a ton of, of lawsuits from participants about the high cost fees, right? Even record keepers themselves have been sued, fund families themselves have been sued for their own plans. So understanding investments is a very opinionated thing and there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people on both sides of the table as far as active, passive, index. So for you as an advisor or wholesaler, you need to understand where does record keeping fit into that puzzle? That's what I dive into today. So record keeping due diligence is something that early in my career I didn't take, I took serious, but I took it from a very, let's go to lunch and talk about, you know, let me be sold on your platform. 
And so a lot of record keepers will hire and spend a ton of money in their marketing, right? Some of them will even go as far as putting their name on huge stadiums or, you know, golf tournaments, or they, they do a lot, a lot of marketing. And that brand recognition is, is really, really important. So don't, I don't, I'm not saying that to knock it. I think it's really critical. When I go into a, a company and talk about which platform we're going to use, branding comes into play there. You know, when I throw on the name like Vanguard, they're going to know that a lot more than some no-name record keeper or TPA that they just, there's no brand recognition at all. So brand does play a part in this 100%. Um, but you as the advisor need to know behind the scenes what else we're going to add to that. So brand's big, but they'll, they'll spend a lot of money. And the classic model is, right, you have your wholesalers out searching for all of these advisors. Now, I was a wholesaler myself, not in the front industry, I was a wholesaler in the mortgage industry and I'd go out to find loan officers and I'd try to get them to send me their loans and I would, we'd package them up and send them, sell them off to the bank. So we're kind of the middle. Same thing with wholesalers, like their, their job is to have a good reach and, and really get you to use their platform. That's the number one goal. That's how they're getting paid. And I did a post recently about how wholesalers need to really kind of stay, take a step back and, and look at the long-term picture of what value they could bring and overall to what makes them the most valuable is their network, right? Their influence, their ability to get people through the door to use their product. And so I would struggle really hard to be an investor, uh, sorry, a wholesaler for a, for a product or record platform I didn't fully stand behind. And my experience through the last um, three years as I tried to build my own record keeping platform and, and did build my own record keeping platform with some partners um, was that the idea of one platform being the solution for everyone is it should not exist. Every single company, every 401k has a different need at a different time. And that's why there's so many different 401k record keeping platforms is they all have different advantages. They all do different things. So I, when I do due diligence now, I've narrowed it down and I have three categories and I want to dive into those kind of just briefly so that you understand how I approach this and hopefully it'll help you kind of adapt. Um, I might even make a nice Canva questionnaire about this because I think it's really important that you have a system to document and, and really keep in a file of how you are doing your due diligence so that should you ever run into any issues with an audit or loss, you can show the process that you went through to help this 401k plan sponsor come to a determination that this was the best solution for them at the time. Um, and that's all you can do is document the process because there's always going to be problems. Someone's always going to screw up and there's always going to be some reason that a 401k record keeper shouldn't be the person that you've selected, shouldn't be the, on the plan. The, none of them are perfect. They're ran by people. We're all, we, we all screw up. So let's talk about service for a second. I think that that's kind of an initial... Um, key factor to me to understand the service model. When I talk about service, I'm talking about really communication between three different parties. Me as the advisor, I want to be able to understand how I can get access in to really escalate things that become a problem and how who I'm going to talk to and how it's going to work. Um, some record keepers have different tiers of if you have this many plans with us or if it's this size plan, you get this group. They do it differently. So understanding who I'm talking to and when I have a problem, who I can go to is key because I know wholesalers don't want to hear my problems when a plan has already said yes, they're already moved on to the next one. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a couple of wholesalers that aren't that way <laughs> that, that will still help me when there is an issue and I pull them in and it's really valuable to have them involved because then they have kind of a, good tabs on it. The second is the plan sponsor themselves. What is that experience like and how can I make it 
even cleaner and easier and smoother for them um, because I honestly would rather have the plant sponsor come to me for the problems. Um, there's going to be things that I can't solve, and that's when I would pull the record keeper in. So I want to know is if the record keeper has an issue with the plant sponsor, they need to come to me. That, that kind of communication, I think, it sounds like a bottleneck, for, but for me, I, I don't want to be in the dark not knowing what my plan ha may have an issue with that I could possibly fix without even involving the business, the client, making their life easier. That's why they hired me to run their 401k, right? And then overall, obviously, the participant. What is the participant, when they have an issue, are they going to be calling an 800 number somewhere? Are they going to have a specific team? Are they going to... Do they have a way to chat or text or how can they communicate when they have a question and what kind of information will I receive about that? So service is a really, really key thing that's really hard to um, put into numbers. So, you know, it's, it's definitely um, qualitative versus quantitative. And so uh, knowing those, those kind of those three areas is critical. So I'm going to start there. Then I get into technology. Now, I have a background in record keeping, so I know a little bit more behind the scenes that most big platforms are actually using one of the four big ones out there, you know, DST, Relias, Schwab. Um, there's one more. I always forget the last one. But they're really kind of set on this old 30-year-old software that just does the job. And depending on which record keeper you're dealing with, there's a better user experience on top of that back-end kind of the calculation. So if you think about record keeping, the whole job they have is to track participant money going in and track where it's going. Roth, traditional, which funds is going up or down, what, like all those things and showing the participant one number, but behind that one number, there's a lot of data. So um, tech is really what you're paying for and it's user experience. So when a, you, when a new plan starts or when you transition, what is that experience like? I want to know. I want to live it. As a participant, I want to go through that process. Can they do it on their phone? A lot of people don't even have computers, but almost everyone I know has a smartphone. So is it all mobile friendly? Is there an app or not? Do I care? I don't care if there's an app, but if there is, great. Um, you know, what kind of integrations do they have with payroll? I don't want to go into payroll too deep today, but I will say this. Payroll is one of the topics that we need to spend more time on as advisors. Really, really diving into that process in the beginning. So when you pick up a new plan or when you start a new plan or whatever it is, payroll should be a hyper, hyper focus of yours, not something just left to, oh, they'll figure it out and let like the record keeper and the plan sponsor or even just the controller or whoever's running payroll, the HR person, figure it out. Get involved in those calls. Spend the time to understand and help translate information between the 401k payroll team and your actual client. Because I tell you what, they're gonna have some miscommunications, they're going to put something in wrong, and that happens sometimes, you know, some clients 24 times, 26 times a year, so you really need to get involved there. And it's not ongoing, once you fix it and they actually understand, because good information into the payroll system to the 401k platform will prevent any year-end problems that honestly just, I would say is probably one of the, the toughest the most frustrating parts of being a TPA, like is, oh, you didn't include bonuses or I mean just compensation, what that definition is. Little things like that can cause some massive expenses um, and, and just 
an issue that if you can just spend a little bit of effort in the beginning making sure that everyone has the right communication connected between the sponsor and the 401k platform, you're going you're gonna to thank yourself later. I promise you that. So put some effort on that. Okay. Um, last thing in tech, there, there's a lot happening in the tech space, which I think will make record keeping more efficient and lower cost. The concept that, that I had initially when creating my own platform was why, mostly on the TPA side. I mean, really that's where we saw the most inefficient manual work being done. And we wanted to make that efficient in a way that we could lower costs because we're more efficient, not just to, not just to undercut someone else. So when, when a record keeper says, hey, we're gonna, we can sharpen our pencil on this fee, I don't like that. I want them to overall be thinking how, how are we able to lower our costs which, and then pass that savings on to the client? So we're starting to see that now, and I think there's definitely some, some platforms out there. There's a lot happening in that space. Um, you really, the big two names that stick out right now are Vestwell and Guideline. Guideline's taking the path of knowing, you know, knowing their brand and trying to sell direct. I, I struggle with that because it's the same model that Fidelity has. They'll sell direct and they'll have advisors sell. That's a conflict. I struggle with that. As an advisor, I, don't, I lose trust. And that's a tough thing. Vestwell has always remained on the side of they want to back the advisor and they're actually trying to replace the old technology I talked about earlier. And I think that's a fascinating thing I'm watching really closely and, and keeping tabs on what's going on and keeping in communication with them. And I'm excited about that because I think we could see some real efficiencies improve, which will in turn reduce pricing, which is kind of the third tier of information that I do on a due diligence process. Pricing is is tricky because every it's amazing. Each platform has their own way of doing pricing, whether it's a flat base fee plus a per head fee plus an asset base fee or just an asset base fee or a flat fee. Th that to me is you, you've got to know your stuff there and that's what makes you a specialist versus just a two plan Tony, like what we call it, which is fine. If you're a two plan Tony, fine. Just don't worry about it. But um, knowing how these record keepers build out their algorithms um, and, and understanding which which metrics they're looking at. I mean, you really just need to send most of them number of participants, uh, assets, and then your flow, right? But some are going to price way better off a better flow versus the average account balance. You need to know that. That should be part of your due diligence process. How do you run your pricing? And can we convert it to a flat fee? Because I know a lot of CFOs and a lot of industries like the one I'm in, medical, loves a flat static fee. When they're maxing out the plan every year, 57000 they're totally putting everything in. I don't want to see an asset-based fee. I'm not, I would always recommend those professional services that are maxing out their plan that have a high flow. Get out of that. Get out of asset-based pricing. But on the other end, a brand new plan, why would you go flat fee when you go, who cares if it's like 1%? It's 1% of nothing. Get the plan off the ground, go, right? So it's your job as the advisor to coach the client through that. So that's key. Then knowing all the pricing levers. So let's talk about pricing levers. There's really kind of, I put them in three categories. Um, there's, there's a couple more, a little kind of, depending on the record keeper, they'll pull. But the main, the main three would be uh, obviously the fixed or guaranteed account. So bigger record keepers are going to have a cash account, essentially, that they're making a spread on. Depending on what the actual return is they're giving, they're making a spread. Same thing's going on in HSAs. They're keeping, um, they're keeping the, the funds um, they're paying a little bit of interest to the participant, but they're, they're 
basically from the banking system, they're getting a little bit more of a spread. So that's key because you're going to see all over the map. And some record keepers are more transparent than others. Some just throw it in. And that goes back to how you line up your investments. So if you're a 338 and you don't really have a cash component to your investment allocations, which is my scenario, I'm fine with that fixed account. I don't care because I'm not going to advise anyone to put cash in there. If they do, that's their choice and we'll get a competitive rate, but we're not we're going to try and get overall pricing across the board cheaper because we threw that in there. So I like that lever. Second lever is the targeting funds. This one's a really slippery slope because it could be used against you if you go that route. So we have some small plans that no one was using the targeting funds. Okay, they're all using our models. We always we kind of do a three-tier model um, or three-tier investment kind of allocation outline where it's target dates is the QDIA. We go to um, our models. So we have five risk-based models and then kind of do it yourself out of 26 funds that we monitor and have selected. And then fourth, if they want to do self-directed. We have this group that we put, they're all in our models. No one's in the target fund. We met every one of them one-on-one and we advise them personally and we're out of those. And those models, again, don't, we don't add any fee to them for us. We don't make any more if they go to the model. Or the, so there's no conflict there for us. Um, but because of that, when we move record keepers, we threw in the record keepers um, target day funds to get an overall reduction in the price of record keeping because they're in there. I mean, say what you want, but that that's the game we have to play. Understanding those those levers was key. We saved them 10 basis points, I think, or something like that, just by having those targets in there. And so, of course, there might be a couple people that go in there that, that you know, new employees, and we didn't get a chance to talk to them yet, but that's fine. It's fine with us. They're still index funds. They they mirror very much the, the targets that we, as a 338, and so we actually have a separate 338 for that lineup. Um, that we monitor separately from our main 338. So knowing how you structure your investments is key. The third thing is um, shortened investment list or kind of um, there's a few platforms that have a little bit of a, they get paid something behind the scenes from a platform or sorry, from a mutual fund company to have them on the platform. I don't like this lever at all. I want what we call open architecture obviously where you can pick and choose any fund out there in the whole universe and that to me is the cleanest way to do that so I'm not a fan of that sometimes we get stuck into that corner with a small startup plan that wants to have a big record big brand name record keeper so we'll do it um, and we'll have to hold this we have one separate 338 for one of those platforms that we're okay with we still won't do it with active funds so we stay indexed and passive uh, so it comes back to your philosophy and sticking to it and if a client doesn't pick you because you don't do that, they don't want the client for you. Be okay with that. There's plenty more clients out there. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is the relationship of the record keeper to the TPA. Now, one of the most, uh, the toughest thing to explain to a plan sponsor, I think, is this TPA rev share program. Now, not all TPAs will pass through that record keeping rev share from them to the client. So that's step number one. Use TPAs that do that. If they don't, I probably wouldn't go there. I would have it pass through um, just because that's the way it should be. Uh, it just I wish it didn't exist, but it does. So we have to do it. And then you need to know which 
TPAs, those record keepers, are paying the most too. And you know, some of those are national level, local level. It depends on how much business you do. It's a, it's a marketing play. So you need to understand if you were to go to this TPA and this record keeper, what is the the basis points or the flat fee, whatever is going from that record keeper to the TPA, and and show that in a clear, concise way. So I have like a one page proposal that I throw together that lists out it's very clear this is the the rev share from the record keeper and, and it totals it out at the bottom and shows net you, you know you're, you're not paying the tpa for a couple of years a lot of scenarios i have so knowing how that rev share program works is key so that's part of my due diligence i need to know that i need to know how they're working and i need to understand so that as i come across opportunities that i'm already formulating in my mind because of this record keeping process and i would say i go through it Usually quarterly, I hear from most of the record keepers. And I will honestly always open my door to any record keeper. Like, I, if someone wants to reach out to me, um, I'll listen and I'll be tough because I've been through so much over the past 15 years and seen so many different platforms that I am always keeping an eye on what is happening right now. And to me, that's a huge part of why I get paid what I do from my clients. It's not necessarily work just specifically for their plan. It's work overall to continuously be better at my craft and my practice as far as recommending the best solution to them. And sometimes you'll go head to head with another advisor and that plan or that group will want to lump in the record keeping decision with the advisor and that happens a lot. And no matter how much you try as the advisor to split those two decisions up, pick the advisor, then we'll go to record keeping and make that decision together. A lot of plans want to hear your creative ideas of which platform and how you're going to set it up. And that's where you have to get creative and you have to present it in a way that makes sense because you listen to what their problem is and their needs are. So one of the best things you can do as a salesperson in the 4K space is adapt to the room or to the conversation of your, of your prospecting client. And as they're telling you their problems, as they're telling you, oh, you know what? You know, maybe it's a construction group and they, most of their team, like, really bad technology. Okay, we need a record keeper that's still doing paper booklets, which, without an extra cost to it, right? And so, you can kind of narrow down there. And then, so start with the thing that they mention is kind of the, the biggest problem. They're probably going to tell you the first one first. People will always tell you what they hate. They do a better job of telling you what they hate, what bugs them, what drives them crazy, than they tell you what they like. So start there and listen. Tell me about your, your 401k right now. What are the things you, you don't like about it? Honestly, you'll get so much more feedback. And as they're telling you, make sure you keep notes or keep track in your head and, and start to formulate in your head, all right, we've got these platforms. And I would really, really push you not to try and streamline your practice in an operational way by saying, I'm going to just use one record keeper. I, I think that's a mistake. And when you do win a plan, and let's say they do want to change. Well, don't don't just try to do the transition and not take over the plan. Take over the plan wherever it is, which is another key reason why you should be doing due diligence and have good relationships with all record keepers. And I've tried to do that. There's a few I really disagree on how they're going, and so we, we're not as close as we used to be. Um, and so being able to just take over a plan I think is really critical um, because then you have access as they go through that transition and that blackout period to help participants because you already have access. So 
always take it over first and then work on the transition, even if that transition was decided when you won the plan. You always want to, and, and come to that meeting, honestly, with the advisor change form or advisor of record, whatever you want to call it, whether it's a letter of instruction or something direct, like know what is needed. It's usually just one signature to get you on that plan. Take it over, and then you can actually start that process of transitioning. It's going to be so much smoother. So due diligence is a really, really critical part of a successful advisor. And as a plan sponsor, you're they're going to they have so many different experiences. And I've seen plan sponsors know nothing to thinking they've got this all figured out and they've already decided in their mind where they're going to go. If they've already decided as a plan sponsor that they want Fidelity or they want Vanguard, like come in with that. Play on that. You don't have to change everything, even if you know there's a better situation, a better solution for them. Win the plan first based on the beliefs and, and opinions that they have. Then as you, as you work hard for them and you show them your value by continually communicating and providing all the things you've promised from your service model, and, and then you can start to take one step at a time. So that to me is something I learned over the years that you have to be patient even though you're going to you're going to see a million things that you could fix and if it was your business you would change today it's it's not your business and they're not phone case specialists you are so understand that and as a wholesaler if you're listening to this your job is to help support advisors win more business whether you get it or not i'm telling you if you help an advisor win a plan even if it doesn't go to you, they're going to they're going to get you one eventually. I mean, I honestly believe that like karma is a real thing where if you get all angry and you don't want to listen to them again, you don't reach out again because you didn't win that one plan that you were hoping to get with them, you're you're screwing yourself over. So don't do that. Be helpful no matter what because I'm telling you in the end, I mean, that was the experience I had as a mortgage wholesaler. I didn't win a lot of business because I kept getting beat by an eighth of a percent at an online platform that just didn't have wholesalers. We're seeing the same scenario. So if you're a wholesaler, learn how to create content in a valuable way, but also just be accessible, be helpful. Spend your time researching what would help these advisors that you know win and retain more business. And you will win more business yourself. And take that feedback that you're receiving from advisors like myself to your team and tell them what you're seeing. You've got to have that two-way communication and we're never going to see improvements. So if you want your form, your platform to be uh, relevant in the future, you're the, you're the ones that have your finger on the heartbeat. So let's do this. And the overall reason that I even want to talk about this topic is because it's so critical for the success of more employees having the ability to retire using their 401k funds. We have a huge problem, bigger than, than I think anyone really talks about, um, even though there's, there's articles that people are just ignoring the fact that they're not ready for retirement. And retirement's changing. So as we do these things, as we all work harder at what we're doing to make sure that fees are in line, that the service is in line, that people have the help they need to make good decisions, we're going to see a real improvement in the 401k industry the way that we, that people perceive it. And that to me is going to start to move the needle and people will have more success. They'll have more trust and they'll want to make the steps necessary, take the next necessary steps 
to have their plan be successful for them and their family. And that to me is the most exciting part of what we do. All right. I could talk more about this forever, but I'm going to wrap it up there. I hope that everyone has a amazing July. It's been a wild year and I can't wait for the rest of the year. The work you put in now, the effort you put in now is critical for the success of the last part of your year. So make sure you're visible. Use technology to make yourself amplified across all of your plans and prospects. Get out there, shoot a video of yourself, get over that fear of putting yourself out there and creating content. I promise you will see success and you'll be happier. Have a great day, everybody. Take care.